Well, the time is near, and uh, I think you all know what I'm talking about. College football is very close. It's only like two weeks away. And uh, if you enjoy college football, I think most of you do. You may be a pro person, or you may just, you know, watch high school, and maybe your kids play or something. You're passionate about your team, and you get excited when your team is playing, and you get it you know, nervous if you're losing and anxious because, you know, the, you're down two touchdowns and, oh, no, we, what if we lose? What if we can't come back? What if we can't win? Well, I really like to uh, watch games not live but record them on my DVR and then watch them later. Uh, you skip all the, you know, the, the commercials and, the, you know, all the boring stuff. You can just skip right to the next play and just watch it real quickly that way. Uh, I've noticed that when I watch a game on DVR, I usually know the outcome already. And especially, especially if it's my team, I don't get worked up, and I don't get stressed, and I don't get anxious, and I don't get scared, because I know, even if my team's losing at the time, not that that would ever happen with my team, but uh, <laughs> if they were losing at the time, I would be confident, because I know the end of the game. I know what's going to happen at the end, and so I'm just going to enjoy it a lot more than be stressful and do you know, what we do in Alabama, which is throw things at the TV and yell at the commentators and yell at the coach like they can hear you and, and be a lot less stressed about it. The book of Revelation, as crazy as it sounds, is like that. The book of Revelation is God telling us how the game ends, how everything is going to be. And it may look right now like everything's... Uh, you know, like God's lost control, everything's terrible, the world is terrible, all sorts of bad things are happening, it's getting worse and worse and worse. But God graciously has given us a peek into the end days, a peek into what the end of the game will look like. And the same thing is true when we're watching, a, whether it's a DVR football game or whether we are reading the, the, the book of Revelation. If we know how the game ends, it alleviates a lot of stress. We can just enjoy it because we know how this thing's going to end. The book of Revelation is designed to do that, to encourage God's people, to comfort God's people in the midst of uh, their suffering in a Genesis 3 broken world. And don't think of Revelation as a puzzle to solve, because it's, it's, it's a little, you know, it, as weeks go on, we'll get into some pretty crazy stuff that's hard to interpret and hard to figure out. But don't look at Revelation that way, as a puzzle to interpret. The book of Revelation is a promise to hold on to. Look at it like that. If we can look at the, this book through that lens then it will do what it's designed to do, which is encourage God's people. This was a promise given to God's people that no matter how much they suffer, we will win. That Jesus will one day return and He will restore his, this broken world and our broken bodies and reconcile all things to Himself. That's the good news of the book of Revelation. It's an encouraging, encouraging book. And so imagine if the world, imagine what the world would look like without this book. You know, we would look around and we'd say, it looks like we're losing. It looks like we're on the wrong team. There's far more people at Walmart and at grocery stores and sitting at home in our city, even in the Bible Belt, than there are in church. I mean, it, it looks like we're losing on the wrong team. Look at the trajectory of American culture. It's getting less and less Christian. 
It would look like that, but fortunately we know how the game ends. We know the end. We know who's going to win, and we know that we're on the right team. That's the good news of the book of Revelation. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to read the first eight verses in the book of Revelation, and we're going to read them, then we're going to come back and kind of examine some phrases in there and kind of piece it together. We're going to go slow through this book. Uh, it's, it's got so much to offer for us in today's world. We don't want to fly through this one like we did with 1 Kings. We're going, to go, we're going to take our time and just work our way systematically through this book. Uh, let's start in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John said to, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Christ, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, and even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who, who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, we ask... Now, as we examine and interpret and apply your word to our lives, that you would help us in this. Lord, you have given us your spirit inside of us to help illuminate scriptures, and I pray that you would do so. Lord, take the words that we read, and Lord, put them into our lives. Help us to obey where you call us to obey. Help us to repent of sin where you're calling us to repent. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so back up to verse 1. Let's examine some of these. We've, we've kind of seen the forest. Now let's kind of get in there and start looking at trees. Verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That Greek of could be revelation by Jesus. Revelation from Jesus can be used interchangeably. But the big idea is that Jesus is revealing something to us. It's revelation. This is a revealed something to God's people. He's pulling back the curtain. He's letting us in on a secret, something that if he didn't tell us, we wouldn't figure this out on our own. He's letting, giving us a glimpse of something. So what is that something? Which God gave him, that is God the Father, gave the revelation to God the Son to show his servants. Who's that? That's us, his servants. The things that must soon take place. That's the point of the book of Revelation, to show us things that are going to happen, something specific that is going to happen to God's people. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. 
So this is important to know how Scripture is transmitted. How did we get this book? Did we invent this? Is this something some guys in a back room got together and got their story straight and, and created this book? Or is this something that was given by God? See, that's what we believe. We believe that Scripture is revealed by God, not invented by man. It was written down by men. He used human authors, but he speaks through them. He uh, gives them the words to write down which we have in our Bibles today. You see, if we invented the Bible, if we invented God's Word, then we could change it. We could adjust it with the times. We could take opinion polls and adjust what we believe based upon what's popular in the moment. And some so-called churches do that. Um, but we believe that God's Word does not, or we cannot change God's Word, but instead God's Word changes us. We read the Bible to be changed by it. We don't read the Bible to go to it and find what we believe and back up what we already believe and, and try to assert our notions there, but no, we, we read the Bible to be changed by the Bible. So if you read the Bible, and I hope you do, if you're reading the Bible... Is it changing you? Are you being changed by your Bible reading? Does it, does it mess with you sometimes? Does it adjust some of your thinking? I thought this way, but I read in God's Word, I should think that away. I was doing this, but God's Word said I should do that. God's Word does that in our lives. It changes us. It's not something we adjust or we change. It is something that changes us. And so the, the transmission from Scripture was this. The revelation started with God the Father given to God the Son, that's Jesus, given to an angel, who then gives it to John, the author of this letter. And he writes it down for you and I to enjoy. So who is John? Verse 2. John, who bore witness to the Word of God, meaning he saw it, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, John, we're going to talk more about him next week, but um, John, most likely, this John, most likely, is the author of the Gospel of John, the first, uh, uh, first second, and third John, uh, and uh, we believe that this is Je the last of Jesus' disciples. He's writing in the mid-90s A.D., and so it's about 60 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, John is the last surviving member of the disciples, of the 12 disciples. They all have been martyred up until this point. They all have uh, died because of their faith, except for John. John does not die a martyr's death. They tried to kill him a couple of times. Uh, they ended up boiling him alive at some point. He survives that. And finally, Rome just says, all right, we're just going to send him off into exile. And that's where he's at now. We'll get more into that next week. But John, uh, on the island of Patmos, there sees uh, or has this vision uh, from Jesus. And verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So that's me. I get a blessing for just reading this out loud. And blessed are those who hear. There you go. You get a blessing for just being here. So come every Sunday that we're in this. You just get, that's a free blessing. That's a freebie right there. All right, so just come back. Invite people to come back. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. So this book, not only all of Scripture, but the book of Revelation, is designed to bless you. 
It's designed to be a blessing, an encouragement to those who read it, to those who hear it, and those who live it out. It says, for the time is near. Now, that kind of brings up an interesting thing when it says, for the time is near. This was written, you know, 2,000 years ago, a little less than 2,000 years ago. And, and critics of the Bible would say, well, John's obviously wrong because he's writing in the mid-90s A.D. I mean, 60 years after Jesus' first coming, he thinks Jesus is going to come soon. And so now John's obviously wrong because it's been 2,000 years and Jesus still hadn't showed up. Well, that is a long time for us, but that's not a long time for God. It's not a long time when, it, when you're the God of the universe who sees all of, all of eternity in one, one stroke. The Bible looks at time differently than we do. We think a couple of hours sitting in a chair is a long time. Um, the Bible calls the era that we're living in the last days. John was also living in that same era, the last days. Now, we think days, two or three days, four or five days, a couple of months. No, the days so far, the last days, the end times, they're about 2,000 years going right now. The, the last days started at the ascension of Jesus. His death, burial, resurrection, when he ascended back up into heaven, that's initiated, that started the era that we're living in now called the last days. And so far it's been a lot of days. It's been 2,000 years worth of days. So the end times, when the Bible says that the end is near, the time is coming soon, that means that God's people should live with the imminent return of God or imminent return of Jesus could happen at any moment. And so we're in the same era that John was in. Even though he was only 60 years removed from the ascension, we're 2,000 years removed from the ascension. We're still in the same era that he is in. We're in the era of the last days. And even God may come back before the end of this sermon. Jesus may come back before the end of this sermon. Uh, he may come back 10,000 years from now. We don't know. Whatever time frame that is, God's people in the last days are to live with his return could happen at any moment. Live with a sense of urgency that Christ could return at any second. So that's why we evangelize. That's why we share the gospel with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family. Because there is an urgency that he could return at any moment. So it was the death, burial, resurrection, ascension that started this era. And that's what God's people are called to live in. So verse 4 First three verses are kind of a, an introduction, kind of a prologue, if you will. Verse 4 starts the letter. Now, the book of Revelation is unlike any book in the Bible because Revelation is three different genres. And if you're reading anything, you want to know what genre it is. You want to know if it's fiction or nonfiction, or is it an article, is it a, uh, is it a biography, is it a poem, is it a song? Is it a newspaper? You know, anything you're reading, it's helpful to know what the genre is. Well, there are a lot of different genres in the 66 books of the, of the Bible. Um, there's poetry, there's, you know, narrative, there's letters. And the book of Revelation is, first of all, it's, a, it's apocryphal, meaning it's a revelation. It's a prophecy. It's a, it's a prophetic book. That's another genre it is. And it's a letter. It was a letter written by John to the churches that are in Asia, as verse 4 says. And that, that letter was intended to be passed around from church to church to church. 
So John or somebody, a messenger, would come and give that to the church in, in Asia, and they would read it aloud. They would study it and pray about it and meditate on it, and then they would take it to the next church, and it would be a circular letter from all the churches. So this, verse 4, tells us who it's written to, specifically to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, there are a lot more, there were a lot more than seven churches in Asia. And here's where we get to our first little bit of confusion in the book of Revelation. Seven doesn't mean seven. That's one of the frustrating things about Revelation. There's so much symbolism, and this this doesn't mean that, it means this. Seven is the perfect or whole number. It means completeness. It means fullness. That's what seven means here. The seven churches that are in Asia are the fullness of the churches that are in Asia. And secondarily, to the fullness of God's church throughout all time periods. He's writing to, yes, to local churches, but also to the global church. But to the seven churches that are in Asia, there's more than seven, but that's representative of the entire church, writes to the seven churches in Asia. Uh, Now, it also is helpful to know when he is writing. I already told you this, but he's writing in the mid-90s A.D., about 60 years after Jesus' resurrection. The Roman Empire, the Roman Empire is, dominates that entire part of the world, and the emperor is a guy named Domitian. And Domitian was severely persecuting Christians. He was inflicting intense persecution on Christians. If you were a Christian in that time period, it was not a fun time to be alive. They were being killed. They were having their, uh, their possessions plundered. It was intense persecution at that point. Now, a few hundred years later, Christianity will grow and grow and grow, and it will one day become the official, uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire, which will start the Roman Catholic Church. But before that time period, the first few centuries in, uh, in the church or in, in Christianity were very, very difficult. And God's people were undergoing great persecution. And John writes this letter And God reveals this letter for those Christians. Because put yourself in in their shoes. You're you're on God's team. Why why are we being killed? God's all-powerful. God's all-loving. Why is He letting these things happen to me? I mean, these are questions that, that we ask even today, and we're not going through intense persecution like they were. But we'll ask the question too. God, if I'm on your side, God, if I'm one of your children, why did this happen? Why are you letting this happen? And again, he writes this letter, and God reveals this letter to John for our encouragement to to tell us that, yes, it's bad right now. Yes, you're in a broken, fallen world, but a better day is coming, and this too shall pass. And it's important to know who he's writing to, not only the, the place that he's writing to, but the time that he's writing to, because this is going to help us interpret the book of Revelation. Too many times we interpret Revelation according to current day headlines. And that is where we kind of go off the wall sometimes. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, So tomorrow is the eclipse. It's going to get dark at around, you know, one or two around here. So if you've been living under a rock lately, don't be scared. It's just an eclipse. The moon is getting in front of the sun and it's going to, one of the rare times, once in a lifetime times where it's going to be right over us. And so you've maybe seen or heard people say, well, oh, the solar eclipse, that must mean something in Revelation is coming to true. It's the end times. It's, it's prophecy. It's fulfilling. And, and 
okay, yes, the eclipse is happening in North America, but guess where it's not happening? Everywhere else in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we start going crazy when something affects us, and, oh, yes, well, this must mean, though, they're, they're, you know, they talk about a moon or an eclipse in Revelation, it must, it must affect us. Well, guess what? There are billions of Christians all over the world who aren't going to see an eclipse tomorrow. In fact, eclipses happen regularly, a couple of times a year, you know, every 18 months or so. We know exactly when the next one's going to be and where, where they happen. So, yes, yes, there may be, you know, God may use signs like that to relay messages, but, but understand um, something like the solar eclipse is just happening over a little piece of, of North America, and that's it. Uh, so, you know, to those people that say that this is prophecy being fulfilled. I'm like, nah, no, no, it's just, a, it's just a solar eclipse. Just enjoy it and put your Bible down and go out and look at it and then come back up and, and then read your Bible properly, okay? So that, that's just an example. We must be very careful not to interpret this book according to today's headlines because before it was written for 21st century Christians, it was written for 1st century Christians. And we need to look through their lens, through what they are going through. These first century Christians in modern day Turkey, Asia Minor, they were the intended uh, recipients of this letter. Now, it is also written for us secondarily, so there is things for us. But primarily, it was written for them. And that little piece of information, if you keep that with us as we go through this journey, that will keep us from going crazy town, all right? All right, so he begins in, uh, continues in verse 4. Grace to you and peace. That is not a throwaway line there. He is saying grace to you and peace because these people more than anybody else need grace and peace. They are going through hell on earth. They need grace. They need God's favor. They need peace that only God can provide. And so where does grace and peace come from? Everybody wants grace and peace, even irreligious people, people that don't care a thing about God, search their entire lives for grace and peace. Where does that come from? Well, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. So grace and peace, that's a long way of saying grace and peace come from God. Now he mentions here, verses 4 and 5 there, that's the Trinity. Did you see the Trinity in there? There's the Trinity here. He's speaking of the Trinity. That's where grace and peace come from. So you see who was and is and is to come. That's God the Father. The seven spirits. Remember, seven doesn't mean seven. Seven representative fullness of wholeness, of completeness. So the seven spirits are, the, are God's spirit, God the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. Verse 5, Jesus the faithful witness. So you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit right there. That's where, that's where grace and peace come from. Now that is confusing, I understand. We do not believe in three different gods. We do not believe in three different versions of God. The Trinity is one God in three persons. One God in three persons. Not three versions of God, not three different gods. One God, three persons. Yes, that is very difficult to understand. So John reminds us, he kind of goes off from here, continuing in verse 5, and reminds us of what God has done for us. To him who loves us 
and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So not only does he love us, he has freed us at the cross, freed us from our sins. And then verse 6, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So think about what John is doing here. John is saying that before I unveil to you what I saw in this vision, we need to get a few things straight. Before you hear this revelation from God, it's more important that you know who God is, that you know what He has done for you. Before you start trying to piece the puzzle together, understand who the revealer is. God loves you. He has freed you from your sin by His blood. He has made you a kingdom. Meaning when you became a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, you got citizenship into heaven. So no longer are God's people one nation like Israel. Now God's people are scattered throughout different nations, all throughout the world, from every tribe, race, nation, and tongue. And we are torchbearers in the darkness as we carry the gospel and push back the darkness in this world. We are a part of that kingdom. He says He made us a kingdom and He made us priests. Did you know that you're a priest? Well, who's a priest? Priests have access to God. Priests were the people who, who were the only people who could go before God and minister before God. The ones who, who were the go-betweens when the people wanted to pray to God. They didn't pray right to, to God. They didn't have access to God. The priest would go and he would pray and make sacrifices. But when you became a Christian, you were turned into a priest. You now have access to God. You now have access to life, to grace, to peace to joy, to purpose in life. Things that people who don't know Christ don't have access to. That's why we take the gospel to them. That's why we share the gospel with others. So they will have that access. So they will become priests. He made us a kingdom. He made us priests. And then verse 7, he says, Behold. Behold is an important word in, the new, in, in Revelation. It's going to be used 25 different times. It means, look here, pay attention. This is important. And he says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. That's a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. That's a reference to Zechariah 12.10. Even so, amen. He's saying human history is heading towards its climax. It's heading that direction. History is broken down into four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation is Genesis 1 and 2. God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, it was perfect, it worked like it's supposed to. Fall is Genesis 3. Genesis 3 happens, sin enters the world, and everything is infected, everything is diseased, everything now is dying. And so now, redemption is the third act, when Jesus enters the world, bringing, ushering in the kingdom of God into its broken world to begin to repair, to begin to restore His world. And then Act 4 will be restoration. When Christ comes the second time and His kingdom is consummated and all sin is and all the effects of the fall are remedied and wiped away and God has, will restore this broken world into what it was at the creation. 
And for those who have not surrendered to him, he's saying they will wail on account of his judgment on that day. Because that day is coming. Jesus is coming and he will restore all things. And he will take over dominion over all the universe at that moment in time. And he says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and the Omega, that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying he's from A to Z. He's the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning and the end of all human history. He's the point of it all. He's the central character in the story. History is his story. Everything is about Jesus. Your existence, your life is about Jesus. He's the central piece of your life. He's the essential essential piece of your existence, of why you're here, of why all of this is here, is all about Jesus. He's not just a something to help you achieve your dreams in life and a buddy to get you out of a jam. He is the point of all creation. And we should rest in the knowledge that in the midst of a broken, fallen world, God has absolute authority, control, and power of this world and the next. In the midst of all the brokenness, in the midst of all the, the sin and the death that is in the world, Revelation comforts us. Revelation shows us that we're on the right team. There's a, a missionary, uh, I heard a missionary one time tell of his experience ministering to um, a church in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian. It was a closed country, and uh, so the church there meets underground, not like underground, but secret in, in, uh, uh, where, where no one else can, can see because the authorities would arrest them. And so he was uh, asking them as he was ministering in these uh, secret churches, uh, he asked, what, what's your favorite books of the Bible? And the people said, oh, yeah, our favorite books of the Bible are Revelation and Daniel. And he goes, oh, not many, many Americans would say that. Why, uh, why is Revelation and Daniel your favorite book of the Bible? And they said, because they teach us that in the end, our God wins. I hope and I pray that as we start this journey through Revelation, that this becomes your favorite book of the Bible. Not because it's cool and prophecy and, you know, what if that means that and this means that, but because it shows us that we're on the right team, that if you're in Christ, that no matter how bad this world gets or how bad your life gets, you're on the right team. You're on the winning team. And one day, yes, we're going to have a lifetime full of suffering, Lord willing, it won't be too bad, but it's someday He will restore the brokenness of this world. And we long for that day. We pray for that day to come. And we rest and we, this is, it's, like, it's like watching the game that we know we're going to win at the end. There's no reason to stress. There's no reason to fret. There's no reason to stress and, and lose our minds and lose hope because we know how the game ends. We've just got to play our part well and know that at the end, it may look like we're down four touchdowns with two minutes to go, but we know God is somehow going to pull it off at the end. And we can't wait to see how. And Revelation tries to explain to us how it's going to be. We just have to sit and wait and enjoy it and watch and be ready for his return. Let's pray.
Father, we long for the day when you will return. Thank you for this letter. Thank you just in these first few eight verses, just brief introduction to this book. Lord, you spend so much time on who you are. Spend too much, so much time revealing your character and what you've done for us and reaffirming the fact that no matter how bad our suffering may be, no matter how much persecution our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world will, will be, Lord, you are sovereign over it all and you're returning. You are coming back soon one day. And Lord, we know that the time is near. It may not be in our lifetimes, it may be. But Lord, we live with that expectation knowing that the time is near and that your return is imminent. And so Lord, help us. I pray that this book would get us to work, would put, us, put a sense of urgency in our lives, that the time may be short, that you may not tarry much longer. And we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of people that need to hear you and to be changed by the gospel. So, Lord, let the work, let it uh, change us first. Let it begin to mold us and into people who look like you and act like you and talk like you and love like you. And, Lord, let that overflow into our lives as we go out into this week. And it's all for your glory and in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.